All right. Uh, I want to welcome everybody to uh, find, your, uh, find your seat as we begin. Uh, my name is Bo Andrews. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Ken Newman, our teaching pastor, uh, will be back in teaching uh, again uh, in, in the next couple of weeks. But um, occasionally here, we take a, 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 chance, uh, a season for the different elders to be able to come and, and, uh, and present God's word. And so I'm privileged to be uh, able to do that today. I've also been known to run a little long, and so we're going to start promptly. Um, I get to teach uh, or work through Psalm 130 today. It's a great psalm. It's been one of the favorites of some of the big uh, names in Christianity, including people like uh, Martin Luther and and John Calvin and Wesley uh, have pointed to this psalm as being very meaningful in their life. My prayer is that as we go through it today, we'll see some of the beauty that they saw. Psalm 130 is both a a psalm of penitence and what is known as a psalm of ascent. Penitence is a a churchy word uh, that is confession of sin. And there are seven of the psalms that are are categorized as that. This is one of them. Another one of them that is maybe most familiar is Psalm 51, where the psalmist cries out, Against you and you alone, O Lord, have I sinned. It's also the 11th of 15 of the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent were the Psalms that the Hebrews uh, would sing as they came to Jerusalem. They were commanded to come to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Festivals that usually were three times a year. Jerusalem set up high on the mount that is called Mount Zion um, and, uh, and, and as well as the temple beside it on Mount Moriah. But it was surrounded by valleys. So in back, you had the valley of Hinnom. Hinnom, Hinnom. And uh, in the front, the more traveled valley was uh, the, the, the Kidron Valley. And so as they were making their way to Jerusalem for these festivals, usually they would top the Mount of Olives, they would come deep down into the Kidron Valley, and then they would begin to make their way up to Jerusalem. And they would sing these 15 psalms of ascent as they made their way up. Jesus and his disciples, on their way to Passover, which we're now in the season, would probably have been singing these psalms as they made their way up to Jerusalem. The psalms have, in other parts, the idea in in these psalms of ascent of looking up. And the Bible sometimes uses direction to help the the author um, communicate a feeling. I know it's church and we probably shouldn't talk about feelings. But this psalm, I want to invite us into it because I think it, it, it has a way of communicating to us best if we allow it to really get into our heart. And not just keep it as learning some words or some things in our head, but allow it to speak to us in our soul. Allow it to speak to us in our identity. It's going to, within the psalm itself, have an ascent. It's going to start in the depth of woe. But it's going to rise to the proclamation of declaring a God who is full of redemption. And my hope today is as we go through these, this very short psalm, 
that it will meet us in the depth of woe and remind us of the lostness of humanity without purpose and without Christ. But my prayer is that it will not leave us there, but that we will travel this psalm upward, looking up like they did as they went up to Jerusalem, but not looking up at the bright temple on Mount Moriah any longer. But now we are looking up to Mount Calvary, where there was a cross and Jesus hanging there. Looking up to find hope is really the feel and the movement of this psalm. I believe that the Bible is 66 books, but it tells one unified story that leads to Christ. And I hope that as we go through this psalm, that's where we land. So let me read it together. We'll read it together. We'll take a moment to pray. And then we'll explore what the psalmist writes. Psalm 130. A song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask right now that your word... would go out, Lord, not simply from my mouth and sound waves to ears to be translated into thoughts and heads, but that would be your spirit speaking your living word to hearts that would accomplish what it was sent forth to do and would not return back void, but that it would grow hope in our hearts, that it would grow faith in our hearts, the same way that rain grows grass on our lawns. That as it sinks into us today, Lord, that it would cause something to happen in us. That wherever we find ourselves today, that it would cause us to look to the cross and celebrate what you have done on our behalf. And that we leaving here would be rejoicing in the God who is full of steadfast love and plenteous redemption. So that we would be empowered as your people to be hope bearers in the world around us. That we would be lights in the darkness of the communities that we go into. That we would be the salt of the earth. And that through our lives and through our words, your gospel message would be going out into the world. That others who dwell in darkness, that others who are lost in the depths of despair, 
would see your light shining brightly through our lives and see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven and who would be drawn to the, to the cross and be saved. Change us. Encourage us through your word. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So the Psalms starts out, out of the depths. Um, Israel was not necessarily a seagoing people. Uh, They seemed to be more comfortable dwelling in the desert than they did in the depths of the sea. And throughout the Bible's story, the depths are used typically as a dark, scary place. You can start at the very beginning when God was creating the heavens and the earth. And the earth was tovu vavohu, void and formless. And the Holy Spirit was hovering over the depths, the deep. And from there, the story moves forward to God judging the world by immersing it in the depths in Noah's time. And the perishing of all but eight who survived it in the ark. We can move forward to the story of Jonah who in his rebelliousness ran away from God until God cast him into the depths in the belly of a fish. And there in Jonah 2, he cries out to the Lord to be saved. We can go to uh, the Red Sea where God parted the depths and caused his people to escape Egypt and called them to himself on Mount Sinai. I'd like to turn to Psalm 69 where I think the psalmist gives us a real good picture of what the depths are in verses 1 through 3 with a similar idea that we're going to explore. Psalm 69, 1 through 3, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I'm weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim, waiting for my God. Where does our psalm begin? In the depths. There are many kind of depths that I suppose we can encounter and do as we go through our life. The physical depths of pain as our bodies break as our bodies just wear out with old age. I remember a time when somebody told me at one point they were an older person that said that they deal with pain every day. As a teenager, I was like, really? I think you probably just lived wrong or something. Maybe I have too, but it's become a reality that all, if you're a certain age and older, you just know that things hurt. You don't even ask why anymore. It's just like you get up and you're like, ouch, that hurts today. There's the depths of that of knowing that your life has so many days that God has given you and then it passes away. There may be the depths of financial troubles where the things that come in your mailbox are greater than the things that you find in your bank account. They cause a certain amount of the depths of despair, of of trying to, I was going to say write checks, but who does that anymore? However it is that you choose to pay those things. There's the depths that I believe the psalmist is exploring in this psalm 
of broken relationship. The depths that maybe if you're, if you've had a significant relationship, if you're married, that you felt the brokenness and distance of, of something gone wrong. And what the psalmist says in, in 69 is that the depths of the place where your feet cannot touch the bottom. These aren't, the psalmist doesn't want to take us simply to a place where there's a few troubles. The shallow troubles where you can kind of stand in your own intellect, maybe work a plan to try to come up with a solution. But he wants to take us past that place to the very dark depths of where you know that there is no hope and you're drowning in your circumstance as circumstance as circumstance laps over you like so many waves in the deep water. And I want to take us, if I can, to that place of despair, of isolation. Because that's where the psalmist starts. And if we are there, then the rest of the beginning of the psalm makes sense. Because when you're in those kind of depths, what do you have as options but to cry out? When you're isolated and lonely, when you know that there's no hope of your intellect forming some kind of plan to make a relationship that's gone bad, make it come back to be right, what can you do but sometimes cry out? And so the psalmist says, out of the depths, I cry out to you, O Lord. There's two words that our Bible is going to translate as Lord. If you look in your Bible, the one should be capitalized. And the Bible that uses Lord, capital L-O-R-D, is using the proper name of, of God, the name Yahweh. And then there's another one that's just capital L-O-R-D that's found in this psalm as well. And that's the word Adonai, and it just means master or Lord. And so I'd like to go ahead and just use... Yahweh and Master for the rest of the time as we work through this because I think it gives us a real flavor for what the psalmist is saying. Out of the depths I cry to you, Yahweh. Who is Yahweh? Well, he's revealed himself in the Bible as a covenant-keeping God. Why is that important? Because as we go through this psalm, we're going to find out that that's the God that we're crying out to because, oh, do we need his faithfulness. And we can't stand on our own good works and our own righteousness. I cry out to you in anguish, Lord. I cry out to you in desperation. I cry out to you because you are my only hope. If if you were drowning, um, I've never been, praise God. I think I'm too afraid of water to hopefully get myself in that place. But uh, for those that uh, that are even in in our midst today who do crazy things like get in the ocean and swim out to some boy that's kind of floating out there where you're like, is he still there? And you're like, Philip, come back. I mean, uh, yeah, come on back in. And and then I can't imagine if you're in those kind of depths uh, and your feet can't touch and all of the sudden you realize like, I'm really tired. And your family's just on the shore over there. What kind of visceral crying out may happen? 
as you're trying to get their attention on the shore. And the sound of the waves and the sound of the ocean drowning out your voice and you're maybe gasping for air a little bit, but trying to float in the water means you can't use all of your air, maybe screaming out because as you expel that air out of your lungs, you also begin to to sink a little bit deeper. The psalmist is going to give us what his depth is in the next verse because he's going to say, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquity. And he's going to tell us what relationship is broken in his life. He's going to tell us that it's the relationship between he and the Lord. And I want to take us to a place, maybe if you've ever recognized your own sin in your life and the brokenness in your relationship with with God. The kind of sin that's left you alone even if you were in, other, in the company of others because you, you were rehashing it over and over. I'm not right with my Lord because I've got this sin in my life. And I've come to a place of absolute hopeless helplessness. I've tried everything I can to get my feet on the ground and beat this sin. And I can't. I'm drowning in the depths. And if you've ever been there, I I want to remind you, like that desperation in your heart at that point is you cried out to God. You laid on your bed maybe at night, and because you didn't want to wake up anybody else in the room or in the house, you silently cried through the tears running down your face to God to rescue you in your depths. Because you wanted to be made right with God. But you couldn't find a way to beat The sin in your life. The psalmist says, oh, from the depths I cry out, from my depths to my covenant-keeping Lord, Yahweh. The covenants that God has made with his people are that he will never leave us or forsake us. It's important to cry to Yahweh because he, then in the next verse, says, Oh, Lord, Master, hear my voice. If you cry out to Master, you're crying out to the Sovereign. You're crying out to the Judge. And the Judge is going to be interested in justice. And if you know you're lost in your sin and you're in a broken place with God because you've got things in your life that eat your lunch that you can't beat... Crying out for God to give you justice would be the worst thing in the world you could ask. And so the psalmist cries out to Yahweh instead and says, Oh, oh, covenant-keeping God, hear my cry. Master, who is also judge, be attentive to the voice of my pleas, not for justice, but for mercy. Have you ever done something in a physical relationship with someone else that you know there was no excuse for and there was no coming back and you totally were just dependent on them forgiving you? That hopeless place where all control is taken out of your manipulation of a relationship and you were about to have a conversation with somebody that all the power was just on them giving you mercy. Whether or not we understand it, that's where every one of us is when we 
come to our relationship with the Lord God. And none of us are able, by the power of our good works, to be made right with God. And whether we sense it or not, and to whatever degree we sense, we all are born dead in our trespasses and sin. And the waves of those sins through our own actions throughout our lives just lap over us at different seasons. And sometimes we're more aware than others, but always our state without Jesus Christ is that we are lost and there is no way that we can be righted with our maker. And so we cry out and in the cry he says, the one thing that maybe we all want when we're drowning in that is hear me, be attentive. Be attentive. There's a place in our lives where all we, maybe the best thing that we have is just, would somebody hear me and understand me? Will somebody understand that I'm broken? But that there's a real person behind the brokenness that feels the pain of life? That I've lived through my circumstances. Please don't stand on the outside and judge me for my choices without understanding that there's a real person behind those choices My sin may be gross and ugly to you, but to me it's the reality of what I'm living through and begging God to save me from as it laps over me through temptation day after day. I'm crying out for somebody to hear me, not judge me. You may know that I'm drowning and that I'm lost in my sin, but please hear me. There's a time we just need to be heard. He cries out to the Lord, oh God, hear me. And then the question, the crux of the matter, the big part of this psalm. Because Yahweh, if you mark iniquities, oh master, who can stand? If God kept track of every sin that you did, would it matter how good you tried to be? Can I just take every one of us just in in, in a moment to just reflect, not only through our day so far, which would probably be sufficient in the sins that we've committed, not in the weeks or the years that we have, but just think through the totality of your life from the time that you were um, able to remember until now the enormous amount of selfish behavior that you have done, manipulating others and circumstances to get your way. If you, O Lord, kept track of all of that, how could I ever stand in right relationship with you? And here's the sad part. The truth is he is. He knows every sin that we've ever committed. Not one is lost. He remembers them all. And so how could any of us stand in his presence? Because the truth is, all of us one day will be in his presence. He's coming again to judge all of those who have ever been made alive. We will all, the Bible says, meet the Lord. And it says it's a fearful thing to be in the hand of the living God. Because every one of us has an appointment with death and then the judgment. The psalmist takes us to that depth so that we can ask us ourselves the question, if you, O Lord, know my life and you do, what hope do I have of ever being in right relationship with you?
so that he can turn it and say, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I'd like to suggest that the importance that we put on our sin, the high view that we have of sin, will equate in some sense to the high view that we have of God who is full of forgiveness. And that if we take our sin and make it a very trivial thing, then we also take the amazing grace of God and make it a very trivial thing. But when we are confronted with who we are and at times brought back to the depth of the brokenness that exists in our personalities, it should make us also (laughs) in awe of the Lord God who has redeemed us. With you, O Lord, there is forgiveness. I take us back to that place that we're in a broken relationship that is out of our control and we're having a conversation with somebody else and we're completely dependent on their mercy. How sweet is it when they say, I forgive you. What release there is in our hearts when that relationship that has been strained by our sin, that the one that we have sinned against reaches across our sin and embraces us with forgiveness. Do you know that feeling? That, oh, it's going to be all right. When I was a kid, my brother and I would get in trouble with my parents and we had this funny thing that we would do specifically with my dad and I wonder if it rings true with anybody else we would try to judge how mad dad still was at us for the sins that we had done by asking him questions and then measuring the tone of his voice to see if he was still mad at us but since my brother and I neither had very good questions it's laughable when I think back at the things that we would ask my dad and I'd, I'd like to know what he was thinking when we did ask him. Things like why they put carpet in cars. <laughs> Just because riding in the back seat and dad was driving and there was no words being spoken for X amount of miles. And we were like, I wonder if we're getting spanked when we get home. Ask dad a question and see if he answers with a laugh in his voice. And we'll know like, yes. <laughs> dad, why do they put carpet in cars? It doesn't matter if spanking. I mean, it just... <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? The, the, the psalmist is, is, is in a broken relationship and he's wondering if there's any way that it can be put right. And he gets to the place and he says, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. When you're in a right relationship with someone whom you are in love with, the greatest fear I think there could be is to be out of relationship with them. Not scared of them, but afraid to be without them. The greatest fear I think that the psalmist is alluding to is not a terror of the Lord as though he is an austere judge, which if we are found dead in our trespasses and sins, when he comes back, he will certainly judge the unrighteous and the wicked. But I think that the reason that the psalmist follows his forgiveness with to be feared is to understand that when you're in that kind of relationship with the living God, 
When you know that he loves you in Christ Jesus and you're accepted in him. When you walk through day by day, not in fear of him, but in love with him, knowing that in Jesus you're accepted by him and that he loves you. There is a great fear to ever do anything to, to, to strain that relationship. You begin to hate your sin, not because of hell, but because of the love of God that it puts a barrier between you in feeling and experiencing God's love. See, when, when I sin any, anymore, I, I know that all my sin was taken care of on the cross and Christ Jesus paid for it all that my sins will no longer be held against me and I'm accepted in God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that's what the gospel says I hate my sin because at the end of the day when I reflect on the way I've lived my life I come face to face with my savior and I say Lord why would I do that There are times that I have conversations with Christ that go something like, God, why is there carpet in the car? Because I just want to see, I want to sense. And the psalmist says, you know what the Lord's response is? It is finished. Sins paid for on the cross. With you, Lord, there is forgiveness so that you may be feared by your children who can't stand not being in relationship with you in such a way that we can laugh and have joy under the shadow of his wings. My joy is complete. So he goes on to say, I wait for Yahweh. My soul waits. See, when you're in that broken relationship and you're asking those questions, what do you wait? It's that tense, tense moment of how are they going to answer? Tom Petty said it like this, the waiting is the hardest part. That's the best nasal that I could do if you know (laughs) Tom Petty at all, but there's some truth in that. The waiting is the hardest part. Ask your kids on December 24th. (laughs) Waiting, waiting. Those moments between I'm sorry, forgive me and a response from those that you really love feel like eternity sometimes. And the psalmist says, though I know that with you there is forgiveness, my soul now waits. I know, I know I'm forgiven, but I'm waiting, Lord. To feel the complete embrace of my Savior at the consummation of all things. When Christ comes again, I'm waiting for that moment. I'm waiting for the eastern sky to split open and the Lord to call and for us to go up and to meet Him and to forever be with Him. I'm waiting for that. My soul waits I am in right relationship with my God, and so I can't wait for those moments. More than a watchman waits for the morning. Well, I've never been a watchman, but I do have a certain amount of insomnia. And it, isn't that where you can't sleep? I thought that may mean I'm crazy, and I would be like, well, <laughs> Freudian slip. Um, and so if you've ever been uh, habitually awake at like, 3 to 
And it's just day after day, you know, like I'm going to wake up at 3.30 and then I'm going to sit in bed. And then I'm going to watch a clock and it's going to tick to like 3.31. And you, you wait because the moment that the light kind of starts to shine in the window, you get to rationalize getting up and making your first pot of coffee. You're just going, now I can get up. Because before, what, what was I even going to do? I've never been a watchman, but I have waited for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than I sat and wait for the light to come in my windows. I'm waiting to hear Christ call my name. And say, well done, good and faithful servant. See, he says, the psalmist, I'm waiting for the Lord. My soul waits And in his word, I hope. In his word. If we're in a broken relationship, maybe the word that you're hoping in is, I forgive you, I love you. I can't say the word in Greek, but to tell a story, I think, is how it's pronounced, which is what Christ said on the cross when he said, it is finished, paid for in full. And I'm putting my hope in that. More than that, I'm putting my hope in the living word of God, the Logos, Jesus himself. And today, if you're in desperation, if you're in the depths, if God, by his mercy, has allowed your life to run you into the very depths of life, I encourage you to look up to the word as he is hanging on the cross. Not for sins that he's done, but for the very sins that we've done. Hope in the Lord, O Israel, for with Yahweh there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. Moses asked the Lord on Mount, on Mount Sinai to see him in Exodus 33. And God says, You can't see me, but what I'll do is I'll hide you in the rock and I'll put my hand over it and I'll pass by you and you'll be able to see my glory as it's it's going by. And he has a conversation with Moses where he appears and says, this is who I am, Moses, the Lord, the Lord. And he unpacks his name. And in that, you get this sense of God who is slow to anger, who is full of mercy who has this word that he uses, said, steadfast love. It's a word that we don't even have in English. We had to make up this word to try to um, talk about the love of God. It is a covenant-keeping, faithful, loyal love that God has for us. The truth is, the only ones of us who get to experience that love are those of us who have put our hope in the word. Because how can God love broken sinners? The only way God can love you and I is not when we get good enough. It's not when we change our life. It's not even, um, uh, it's not the affections that we have in our heart for him because we still have sin in our life. Can I tell you that the only way God can love a person like me and a person like you is when he sees Christ instead of seeing us. 
And so the steadfast love of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit is extended to the family of Christ when we are in Christ Jesus. Not because we've come to church today and not because we've said or done some things with our lives, but when we are putting our hope in Christ Jesus, when we live our lives as those who recognize the sin in us that brings us to a place of the depths where we cry out to God, not of works of righteousness that I have done lest I should boast, but Lord, because of your finished work on the cross, I look up from the depths of my sin to the cross of Calvary and seeing the word hanging on the tree there. I place my hope and confidence in what's accomplished there and I wait for it to be fulfilled in my life. I believe that's what the psalmist is pointing us to. And so he has in one in, in, in eight verses gone from the depths of despair in verse 1 to preaching to others in verse 7 and 8. O people of God, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. That, those aren't questions, those are statements. This is who God is, and this is what God does. There's two types of people here in this room right now. Those who know the Lord, and those who don't. If you are in Christ Jesus, you're waiting on his return to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the reward your father has prepared for you. And the sure word that you have heard from Christ in his finished work on the cross is all of your sins have been placed on me and it is finished and paid for. If you're not in Christ today, then you are still in your sins. And no matter how good you're trying to be, it's not enough. And so, look up. It may be that God has done everything he has done in your life to put you on the bottom of the barrel. So that in a psalm of ascent... You can look up and see the cross. I want to invite the music team uh, to come back up, and I think they're singing a song. And why you, why they do? I want to end us in prayer. Specifically today, I want to pray for those that are with us who need Christ in this Easter season. Would you stand with us? Heavenly Father, I know that every one of us uh, that takes a true inventory of our lives would find ourselves full of selfishness. And if we're honest with ourselves, the way that the Word of God is honest about sin, it says that sin is fun for the season, but when that season is done, that sin comes and it brings death and it brings sorrow. And if we're honest with the decisions that we've made in our lives, some of them have been grasping out for satisfaction and fun and entertainment. Some of them have been to fulfill the lusts of our heart. 
But when those seasons have ended, Lord, we know that it's brought us guilt and sorrow, despair and death and destruction. By our own experiences, Lord, many of us know that no matter how good we try to be, we can't fix the brokenness that resides in us. Lord, I thank you for the honesty of the psalmist that says that we are as a humanity in death uh, of our sins, sinking in despair. And there is only one question that we have to ask ourselves today. If you, O Lord, mark me with my sins, who can stand? How can I be made right? Is there a way to be clean from the filth that I have had in my life? Is there a way to be right from the brokenness that I know exists in me? And Lord, you have provided us with the answer. That if we would look to Jesus on the cross. (laughs) And by faith, lay hold of his finished work. That it may not make sense to our brains yet. But if we reach out by faith and we take hold like a drowning man reaching to a life preserver tossed to him. That, Lord, you would save us. And not save us to leave us to drown in our sins, but save us to pull us out and place us on the rock and give us a new song to sing. That you love us so much, Lord, you don't just save us from our sins, you save us out of them. You're remaking us. And you're taking the brokenness that is in us and you're making it whole in Christ Jesus. And you're taking us to a destination to be with you in new creation where everything is perfect. Lord, for those that are here that don't know that story, would you, by the power of your spirit, tell them right now in their hearts. And for those of us who do, Lord, would you encourage us that though we may in seasons go through bits of despair, that the answer is always to look back up to the cross and that hope that we have of the finished story. And we wait for you to call us, Lord, through death or through you returning again until we get to be with you. Lord, by the power of your Spirit, would you work work this in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 15, 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We're dismissed.